Well, good morning and happy new year to you, Eastview. It's delightful to be back with you after just such a short time. Uh, I've been able to tell several different stories about my experience here with you, referring to myself as the uh, Texas Santa, things like that. Uh, a couple of fun things have happened. You probably have noticed since then that, uh, I'm just being honest, you know, you can probably tell I've been working out for the past two days. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to brag, but uh, choosing health feels good. It does. You know, I did that because of New Year's. New Year's is that time, of, you know, it's that season where we start to go, okay, the old is gone, the new has come. We start making resolutions. You guys know what I'm talking about. I did a quick just a view on the internet of top 10 things people make New Year's resolutions about. There was a wide variety, but this list is pretty close to what most people say. Number one, exercise more. That's fair. Number two, lose weight. They kind of go hand in hand. Number three, get organized. Yeah, I, I feel that sometimes. Number four, learn a new skill or hobby. Live, number five, live life to the fullest. That's a little bit uh, ambiguous, but you know, I get it. Number six, either some version of save more money or spend less money, that's right. Number seven, quit smoking. Gotta be honest, I've never seen a New Year's resolution where get like get better at smoking. <laughs> but you know, that may, that's fair. Number eight, spend more time with family and friends. And number nine, travel more. Number 10, read more. Okay. New Year's resolutions are that kind of expression of us as people recognizing that the season has changed, right? It's a watershed, if you will. The old is over. The new state of being has begun. I've had several times in my life where my New Year's experience was a really big change. In the year 2000, uh, I was living in Texas where it's sunny and warm. And in January of that year, my wife and I and our little two-year-old boy, we moved to Chicago where it was 12 degrees below zero. My wife was pregnant at the time. We didn't know it. We moved into uh, a little postage stamp. Some people pronounce that apartment. <laughs> and I began studying again after nine years of being out of college I'm telling you, that was a big shift. There was a bigger shift a few years later, my wife and I and three other families, we moved from Texas again to Mexico City to be missionaries in January of 2002. All three of our, the main families that were gonna go there, we packed up everything we had in our cars and a church trailer, and we drove all the way to Mexico City to start a new season of life. You've if you've heard me preach before, you've likely heard I grew up in the country, so moving to the second biggest city in the world was quite a change for somebody like me. But by far, the most traumatic New Year's Eve, New Year's situation I was ever a part of was when I was in fifth grade. Our little tiny country school was doing a play about the new year, and they had several characters in the play. One was the old man of the year, right? The, you know, and he's getting old in a robe. And one of the characters that I was told I had to be was Baby New Year. And Baby New Year, their costume was a fake duck. Well, I decided that was not going to happen. Nope. So the principal was like, no, this is, we've assigned this to you. And I'm like, no. So they called my mom. 
my mom approaches me at home. She says, I'd really like you to do this. And I was like, oh, thanks. No. She's like, this is a serious part in the play. I said, I don't care. So then, here's where it gets a little interesting. They called my dad. And so my dad comes home from the farm, just sitting down and talking to me. He says, we need you to do this. I said, no, sir. And I had a relationship with my dad where I knew where the boundaries were. <laughs> and he said, you, you're, you're telling me no. I said, yep. He said, you're, you are willingly going to accept the consequences of what's about to happen. Yep. I made a choice that day. Because here's what I knew, right? Whatever my dad was about to hand to me would fade, but a picture of me in a diaper would not. Right? And I knew that would come back to haunt me. I stand by my choice. New Year is always a watershed moment. That's normal. We all face the fact that life changes. It's that leap from a plane, that final wedding vow before the kiss, the new baby being born, the cycles. This is just part of who we are as humans. Birth and death, weddings and funerals, health and illness, all of it. It's the changes. It's the watershed moments, that crossing over of the border. Our text today is a watershed moment for Jesus. I want to set up what's going on in the text because there, it, it can be a little confusing, to be honest, if you're not familiar with it. It's that climax of the movie where all of a sudden all the different uh, disparate parts and plot lines come together and you're left going, wait, who, what? Now, who is, how would that happen? And so just a quick little overview. This is the last night of Jesus' life on earth before he was crucified. They've had the Last Supper, all the disciples, they were in Jerusalem. They get together, and Jesus has his high priestly prayer, is what a lot of people call it, in John chapter 17 at their Last Supper. And then after that, they're going out to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just right outside of Jerusalem, down a hill, up another hill, and that's where they were going to go. Now, at the same time, Judas, the betrayer, as he is often referred to, has left the happy band of disciples, left the Last Supper, and he has gone to the house of someone named Annas, who was, at the time, the former high priest. And Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas were serving as the high priestly leadership of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership council. Now, it wasn't like the old-time high priests in the Old Testament where they were appointed by the Lord. These were Roman appointees. These were political people. And when Judas agreed to betray them, they were delighted. So they give him money and they say, you show us where we can find him. So that's where we are in our story. Let me start reading in John chapter 18, verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Okay. So John skipped a little bit that the other gospels record where Jesus had a night of prayer in the garden where he was praying and asking his disciples to help him pray and stay awake and they fell asleep. And he, Luke tells us that he, when he was praying, he was sweating as though it was great drops of blood. He's having this watershed moment because he knows what's about to happen. 
Jesus knows he's being betrayed. Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. And he is like any normal human. This does not sound like a good consequence. And this is where we find ourselves at that watershed, border crossing moment. Verse two, now Judas who betrayed him knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing what was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, what do you want? Now, the group that has come up to see Jesus was pretty sizable. When I was a kid, if ever I saw some sort of like portrayal of this, it was about 15 or 20 guys. One of them had a torch, maybe a pitchfork, something like that, you know. But it says a detachment of soldiers. That was probably between 100 and 200 Roman soldiers. That's a big group of people. The chief priests sent some officers. There was another group of people. They had torches and weapons. It was clearly a one-sided situation. And instead of running backwards and trying to flee, Jesus walks out to face this group of people and says, what do you want? This is that moment when instead of retreating, instead of choosing his own safety, Jesus crossed that border and it was the defining thing for us. It was the defining moment for our ancestors, for us, for our kids, for our grandkids, for all of the cosmos. This is that moment when Jesus made the choice to follow. What he did was he went toward the hardship. Can you imagine how tense this is? They're all there ready to go. They're ready to fight. Jesus says, what do you want? Listen to what they say. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Man, what a power move Jesus made right here. Instead of turning tail to run, instead of trying to hide among the garden, he steps into this. Can you imagine the reaction that they had when instead of running, he steps into it? Judas, can you imagine his reaction? He, in my opinion, this is kind of where he was at. Jesus seemed great until everybody was about to die. He switched sides, hoping to save some sort of dignity. I don't know. But here he is thinking he's on the winning team all of a sudden. And all Jesus has to say is, I am he. And they all fall down. I've heard some commentators say things like, well, one of them probably backed up and stepped on the foot of the other guy. And then it turned into kind of a Keystone Cops routine, <laughs> you know, and bonk and that kind of stuff. I don't buy that. Personally, I think at that moment, Jesus flexed a little bit. And just said, oh yeah, I'm Jesus. And they all fell down. Well now, things get a little messy. 
I personally have another moment that I imagine where now at this point where one of them's like, uh, go get him. The other guy's like, shut up, you go get him, right? He talks and people fall down. I'm not gonna touch him, you touch, you know, right? But regardless, here's what happens. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. So now I'm going to get to that point in the story that I bet most of us can relate to. Peter thinks his whole world is being lost right in front of his eyes. He's given his entire life. He's left his business. He's left his family. He's left everything behind to follow this Jesus. And now it's 150 against 12, and well, 11, I suppose. And now all of a sudden there's nothing left. And in desperation, I think, in wild urgency, Peter just lashes out and tries to stop the situation from changing. My hunch is that Malchus sees him out of, the, out of the corner of his eye and sees him coming after him and ducks. And instead of getting his head cut off, he gets just his ear cut off. In Luke's gospel, he tells us that Jesus picked up his ear and healed him. Can you imagine what, like what if it was like a Lego, right? And he was like, Could you imagine being Malchus and feeling your nerves grow back? What, a, what an amazing moment. And the reason we titled this sermon a swing and a miss is because of Peter's reaction. Although, to be fair, we could have called, titled it Happy New Ear. A swing and a miss. You know, I don't blame Peter for his wild, impetuous act. I don't. I understand it. Desperation, fear of loss, fear of violence can make people do extreme things. But what I want to highlight today is the difference between Peter's reaction and Jesus' reaction. Jesus tells Peter, look, stop. He fixes poor Malchus, who was probably doing something vile, and then he makes this statement that I want us to focus on. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? We've already been told that Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew what was going on. We know from the other Gospels that he had already asked God, please don't make me do this. And God had refused his request and called him to this journey of terrible sacrifice. And so Jesus steps across that threshold, across the watershed, trusting that God was going to do whatever was right, regardless of what it was going to cost himself. Because Jesus knew the outcome on the other side of that boundary. Peter hadn't gotten there yet. 
Because Peter has to live like we have to live, where you, have to, you don't get the benefit of seeing the future. None of us get that ability to look ahead and with vision and, and cast into the future and go, you know what's going to happen is this, this, and that. And that's why I'm going to do this A and B. We don't get that benefit. And Peter didn't either. He was faced with something beyond his ability to understand, and he lashed out. I've done that. And let's be honest, so have you. You know why I know that? Because you're people. And sometimes when God asks us to trust him for the future, we say no. When God calls us to some kind of change, we reach out and we lash out at people that are close to us. We've all done it, a swing and a miss. I gotta be honest, it's a miracle that I'm married. It's a miracle. Uh, my wife and I are in our halfway through our 32nd year of marriage. She's the best thing that's ever happened to me outside of being a Christian. But I'm telling you, I really, really almost messed it up. This is a true story. I mean, actually happened. When we first started liking each other, I before that, I'd honestly, I'd been pretty self-confident around girls. That's, that's it's not fair or good. I'm just saying that's how it was. I'd be like, sup, babe? You know, you, me, date, later, got it, right? Well, I, I become acquainted with Shane. I start realizing I kind of like her. And I'm telling you this, this is true. I fell apart. I'd be like, hey, <laughs> hey, bye. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. And I'd say dumb Bible college kids stuff like First Corinthians, crazy, right? What? I was like, I was like, I'd get back to my dorm and be like, pull it together, man. And so I decided one day I was going to ask her out on a date. It was early morning. Everybody back then went to breakfast because we were broke and hungry. And so I was like, okay, today I'm going I'm to ask Shannon out on a date. It's going to be awesome. So I get to the cafeteria and I see her. And she looks amazing that day. I was like, wow. And I, you know, and I was like, okay, man, be cool, be cool, be cool. And I walked up to her. And I was about to say, would you like to go out and have dinner? And then I smelled her perfume. And I was like, wow. And then I noticed she had done up her hair really complicated like we did in the 90s. <laughs> Some of you guys remember that. And, and I kid you not, what came out of my mouth was, oh, your, your hair looks like a rat's nest. <laughs> True story, that happened. When my daughter hears that story, she's like, how was I born? I'm like, I don't know. That is a swing and a miss. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, I got invited while I was a missionary to speak at a conference for missions. And it was kind of a big deal. I was like, hey, I'm pretty excited. And there were some really great preachers and uh, public speakers there. And after the conference was over, we all went out to have dinner and Everybody was talking to each other, man. Oh, you did such a good job. Oh, you did such a good job. And nobody was saying anything to me. So my sweet wife goes, hey, everybody, didn't Rob do a great job? And then there was this moment where everybody went, what? You, you know he's really passionate. <laughs> you know what that means. Swing and a miss. You know, we all have those moments. Some are kind of lighthearted and 
good to tell stories around the family table. Some are embarrassing, some are horrifying. Most of us, like Peter, in our lives when there is a swing and a miss, it's because we're clinging to something in the past that we don't want to change. And we know God is calling us to something else. See, Jesus knew that he had come from the Father. He knew he was going back to the Father. He knew he was gonna send us the Holy Spirit to save us, to help us, to show us, to redeem us, to guide us into truth. He knew it would be better on the other side of that challenge. And so here's, here's you and me living our lives, almost about to walk into 2024, all of us with some kind of swing and a miss in our background, all of us facing the future. And we look at this text and we say, God, show us what to do. Now, here's the truth. I, I don't know about you. I don't know what to tell you what to do, but I can tell you that at least there are four true things that we can get from this passage. Truth number one. Endings are normal, so we can give them permission. That's, that might sound weird. Let me illustrate from something that's recently happening in my life. My dad, whom I love and whom we have spent a great deal of time trying to repair our relationship from my teenage years, he uh, turns 91 in a week. And this fall, he left his place out in the country and moved into assisted living and is for the first time in his life living in town. It's been a real challenge. It hasn't been easy for him. And the truth is, it hasn't been easy for us. We've had to go through all kinds of things like lawyers and trusts and who's the power of attorney and what, and all these things about aging parents. Many of you have experienced the same thing. But what I love about this is that my dad gave myself and my brothers permission to let things end. And we have given him, in turn, permission to let things end with our life out in the country. Now, there's a couple of grandkids who are not taking it very well, but other than that, we are finding a way forward by saying, you know what? Endings are normal. People retire, kids go to kindergarten, they graduate, change must happen. But by giving us permission, to let things end, my dad has given us a gift. There's a lot in our lives that we could do that with. Endings are normal, give permission. Truth number two, allow things to end when it's right. Even if you don't like it, you can give it to God. Listen, for some of you, it's time to throw some clothes away, right? You've been keeping them in your closet thinking you're gonna lose enough weight that they're gonna fit again. Listen, by the time that happens, fashion's gonna change, right? Get rid of them. Some of you have some something in Tupperware in the back of the fridge, right? Or maybe it's in an old Cool Whip box or something, and you're like, no, someday we're gonna, don't, let it die. Just give it, you know, set it free. There's some of us that have some stuff in the garage, like some lumber or some pipes or something like that, that we're like, someday I'm gonna use that. Hmm. All kidding aside, are you holding a grudge? Do you have a hidden sin 
Does your phone come between you and people you love? Is there something you are holding on to, like grief that is well past its goodbye date? Have you felt like Uncle Rico who said, if I would have just made that pass, I'd have gone to state? Listen, we need to give time to allow things to end. And that leads us to truth number three. We allow God to have our lives because he will make them better. This is a fundamental fact about being a Christ follower. Jesus taught this in several places. Listen to Luke chapter nine. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? See, God sees beyond time and space. He sees all possible futures. He knows the best way forward for us. Like Paul says, for we live by faith and not by sight. From Genesis to Revelation, the message is to trust God with all that we are and let him tell us what to do because he has our best interests at heart. And the only thing our enemy tells us is what he told Adam and Eve. Oh, surely not. Oh, come on. God wouldn't want you to do that, would he? He's just jealous. He just doesn't want you to be happy. What we learn is that when we follow Jesus, no matter what, despite how we feel in the moment, we get something much better. And look, I know it's easy to say that, when we're sitting in decent chairs in a climate-controlled room, right? It's a lot harder when the doctor says they can't find the baby's heartbeat. It's a lot harder when the diagnosis is far worse than we expected. It's a lot harder when it will cost us financially, when we're called to something scary or believe something new is in the works. So the fourth truth is perhaps the hardest but the best. It is to embrace the unseen best. What God has for us is the best thing this life can give us. The Bible, when it talks about living by faith, there's no smarmy, feel-good, syrupy, sweet Pollyanna garbage about that. It's very clear that our hope has to be an anchor for the soul. You don't need an anchor when the water's calm. This is what holds us in the storm, but our job is to look forward to how God is gonna show off. Even Jesus had to live like this. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What Jesus knew is that what God had for him was better than what he wanted. It was worth 
whatever he had to endure. And Peter had that same watershed moment with Malchus, but he did not know what the future was. And so he reacted with a swing and a miss, like many of us. The famous missionary Amy Carmichael said it like this, the enemy is more aware than we are of the spiritual possibilities that depend upon obedience. When we embrace the unseen best, we're saying that both in our normal lives and the spiritual effect that our lives have, our trust in God, our obedience to his will, our choosing to go where he calls us, we are saying to the Lord, your way is best. And no matter what it costs, I will follow. This is what Jesus did when he said, shall I not drink the cup the Father has for me? Because of his faithfulness, we are able to go forward. So let's do a quick review. Endings are normal. Give them permission. Allow things to end when it's right. Give them to God. We allow God to have our lives because he'll make them better. And we can embrace the unseen best. When Shannon and I uh, became missionaries, the time came for us to make that border crossing in 2002. And about two months before that, a well-meaning individual who really thought I was doing wrong sent me an article. They genuinely believed taking my uh, four-year-old and my one-year-old into Mexico City was something wrong. God would never want that. So to encourage me to stop, this is true, he sent me an article about the rise of kidnappings of young white kids in Mexico City and the terrible consequences involved. And it was horrifying. And I'm going to be honest, when I read that, I changed my mind. I was less than two months from moving. I'd raised money. I'd quit my job. I was ready to go. I had recruited families to go with me. And I said, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't want to go. Because the things that, that that article put inside of me made me so afraid for my children. I was like, not a chance. I didn't have the courage to tell everybody at that point, but I was like, no. And I remember I wouldn't even pray because I didn't even want to talk to God about it. I was like, no, I'm not taking my kids into something like that. Not a chance. But day after day, the Lord's Holy Spirit would start working on me. And he would say, we got to talk about this. I'd be like, no, I'm not doing it. I was being like Peter. I would rather punch somebody else than follow where you're calling me to go. And finally, it came to a head. I could feel God's hand on me, and he said, are you going to go or not? And I said, God, I can't. And I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it was terrible and wonderful. And the Lord said to me, whose kids are they? I have this memory as clear as anything I have in my life. Whose kids are they? And I had to admit that I had been holding on to things in my life and I had been keeping them from the Lord, including my family. And I had to surrender to the Lord that day. Now, I'm not going to tell you that that was easy. That's silly. That threshold, that watershed moment, y'all, that was brutal. But I cannot imagine what I would have missed if I would not have obeyed 
I thank God almost every day. My kids thank God that we lived there. My kids thank God that we obeyed. My wife and I thank God that we obeyed. I cannot imagine the life I would have missed if I would not have been obedient to the Lord. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Our parents want to take us on a wonderful holiday to the beach, and we are angry because they have asked us to stop playing with the mud pies that we are currently obsessed with. Let me ask you, what are the mud pies that you're obsessed with that you have refused to give up to the Lord? What in 2023 has held you back from hearing God's voice? What grief are you holding on to that you can surrender? What new thing has he called you to that you have undone? You and I live in a world that will forever change. Our only constant is the presence and goodness of God. He knows what is best for you and for me. And as we start 2024, I just want to encourage you, don't just take a swing and a miss. Just say, God, you give me whatever cup you're going to give me, and I'll follow you today. Let me pray that we all have the courage to do that. Jesus, thank you for the chance to know and love you, and thank you that you give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be obedient. Lord, bless each of you as a church as they do that this year. Bless every individual in this room and watching online that they would feel your power and love and presence and have the courage to take a step forward this year. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.